Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for a conversation with Michael Lerner and Lynn Getz. Lynn Getz, welcome to the new school. Thank you, Michael, for having me. We've been friends for some time. Uh, we share many interests. One of our interests is in stones and crystals. And um, we have a little collection of some of uh, the stones and crystals that draw us. And uh, last night over dinner, I was telling you that I had discovered that this uh, sphere, which is uh, called chrysocolla, and um, it has these incredible blues and greens uh, in it, and some brown as well. Um, and I've just discovered over the last uh, couple of years, I've never been interested in crystals before, uh, stones, but uh, I can say more about what drew me into it, but that this blue-green chrysocolla, which looks like the Earth seen from outer space, just became my favorite, um, my favorite, the, the, the crystal or the stone that speaks most deeply to me. And you had some reflections on what chrysocolla is and what it means to you, and I wondered if we could start there. Oh, sure. I, I agree with you. I think that chrysocolla is an extraordinary reflection of our planet um, in terms of the way she looks visually to all of us. But I think part of why she is so extraordinary to me is because she really allows us to understand the relationship between water and our earth, right? The plant and tree kingdom and the soil and all that grows upon her that is not fluid. So when I, I look at the chrysocolla, it's really remarkable to me because you can see these incredible veins, these incredible streams of turquoise that run through, that run through the stone, um, you know, that would be perhaps representative of, of the waterways that we have on the planet. And then this magnificent way of understanding that the, that the trees actually hold the boundaries for the water and so that it allows the rest of all of us to live on her surface. And so the chrysocolla really is, is the earth embodied, right? As far as we can hold her in our hands and appreciate her. So I'm a novice at Gems and Crystals, and I told you the story that um, I'd never been interested in Gems and Crystals. I've been studying integrative health for 40 years. But crystals and rocks, I liked rocks. I had a connection with rocks, but crystals um, had never spoken to me. And then one day, I went into a little a crystal uh, store on Whidbey Island in the town of Langley, and I saw this little tangerine quartz crystal. And there was a little sign saying that it was good for past life traumas and PTSD. And so for whatever reason, I, I picked it up and I took it home and um, not believing or thinking much about it, but I held it. Mm 
And the next morning, this area of trauma that I've carried in my body in the sacral region around the umbilicus, I've carried it for, um, I'm 73, I've carried it for at least 65 years. Um, it was infinitely better. And um, I was astonished because I'd worked with this traumatized area in many different modalities, but nothing had ever really changed it. So that got my attention. I went back to the little crystal store and I picked up a clear quartz crystal. Um, um, and, um, and the day after that, a whole kind of really strong addictive relationship, which so many of us have to the internet, was much improved. It wasn't as dramatic as, you know, as the one with the uh, tangerine uh, quartz crystal. So that launched me into an exploration of crystals. And so one could say, well, this is just placebo, this is just the imagination, as if, quote, just the imagination were a way of diminishing things. Um, but I've come to believe uh, through the last couple of years of working with these things, that it's not just my imagination. Um, and that brings us into the realm where the imaginal and subtle energies combine. Uh, and I've come to think about crystals and stones as one more archetypal language for accessing the soul and the inner world but also as a pathway into subtle energies which, again, one could say are purely imaginal, but they don't feel imaginal. They feel actual. Um, when I hold the chrysocolla, uh, I feel uh, an energy coming up through my hands and into my body. Um, and so this is an area in which you are deeply versed but from the point of view of the world that only accepts the material world as real, um, to speak of the imaginal is bad enough, but to speak of subtle energies is to enter a world which many people reject on the face of it. I'm not worried about that rejection. I mean, that's just where the world is at. But you have worked and I have worked um, at this interface of the imaginal and the subtle energies for many years. And crystals, it seems to me, rocks and crystals are one manifestation of that place where these things meet. I would agree. Yeah. Absolutely. So how did you come into relationship with rocks and crystals? What was your path into relationship with them? It started with my grandfather's collection mm -hmm. of crystals and stones that he had been given throughout his lifetime. Mm. And I can remember very distinctly being, I don't know, five or six maybe, having the courage. So he had a couple of different places where, in his home where his crystals and stone collections sat. And, you know, being very good disciplined children, we were only to look and not touch. And one day I picked up this one crystal that I'd been dying to pick up for as long as I could remember, and I finally had the courage to pick it up. And my grandfather came into the room, and his first reaction was to say, oh, oh my gosh, put that back down, Lynn. But he didn't. And instead, 
he said, come on over here and sit down with me. I want to tell you about that stone. And, and from then on, you know, it just became this incredible space that he held for me to begin ex- exploring. And as a child, we don't, have, we don't have the veils. We don't have... So I have pictures and, you know, little words in which um, I would write in my book when I was a child because my grandfather little by little began to trust me and so I could then play with these stones. So I would set them up all over the living room floor um, and play these little games and have these whole conversations with him. So that's really how it began. And then when he passed, he left me his entire collection. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Do you still have it? I do, yeah. How extensive is it? It's probably 30 different stones and crystals. Was his relationship to them completely sort of geological, or did he embrace other aspects of them? Well, I think so many of them, in fact, the majority of them were given to him. Mm-hmm. And so I find it fascinating that, that you know, he was the recipient of these crystals. He never went to college, but instead was allowed to go to Africa with his father. Mm. Um, and they lived in Africa on and off for about seven years when he was in his early 20s. And the natives would actually give him stones, mm. um, that many of which he brought back. I think that he was just really attracted to beauty. Mm. I don't think he really communicated with them in the way that mm. I feel I do now. He just more had them as a collection of gifts that all sort of fell under one category, if you will. And, and he loved them. And how do you feel you do communicate with them now? To sit with a crystal um, or a stone requires deep stillness um, in, in meditation, at least for me. I uh, can move into that deep stillness pretty quickly And so when I do that, I'll take a crystal and just sit with it. And the crystal will either communicate in sound, but it's not verbal language like you and I are using now. We'll communicate in visuals that arise through the, um, what I call the inner screen, or I'll just get a message that then the cognitive brain, right, interprets. And then the other piece, as you said, is that I'll have a, I'll have a physical um, shifting inside of the body in, in some way. And it will either illuminate or the sensation will drop or there will be some sort of a sensation somewhere in the body. Mm-hmm. And that too happens. And how often do you find that the changes that you experience when you are with a crystal or a stone match those that are in the uh, esoteric, literature that exists on all crystals now. So, for example, the chrysocolla is said to be a very feminine uh, stone. It is um, said to um, uh, carry a deep feminine energy. It is said to lower blood pressure, to calm the nerves, to help uh, uh, strengthen relationships, close, intimate relationships, and so forth. So there's a literature on virtually every crystal now. Um, Obviously, there's a geological literature where it comes from, what its strength, hardness, other qualities are. But then there's this separate mystical literature. How often 
do your inner experiences seem to resonate to the described qualities in the esoteric literature on these stones? That's a very good question. I come from an orientation where I, I really don't want the intellect to be influenced when I first receive anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want the feeling, I really want the perceptions to be as high as they can be without any of the preconceived, you know, kind of thinking. And so, so I tend to work backwards that way. Um, I won't do any research. I won't look at, at what's going on and, until I'm fairly clear about what the stone is, is going to do and, and how we're going to work together. But then very often, I do find that there's a tremendous amount of accuracy. I'm, I'm very careful to watch how much becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy where, where I'm, I'm wanting my experience to match what I'm reading and so I try very hard to make sure that that does not, uh, that that does not happen um, and to keep my experience separate from, from the literature. But after enough time has passed, then I, I feel like I have boundaried myself enough to then go into the research. And the research is, is accurate. You know, on some level, it's accurate, right? And there's a spectrum. And then we get to apply our personal experiences with that information. But I guess I feel that it's better that we really get clear about our own perceptions and refine those and, and, and hone those and get very clear before we, you know, before we feed uh, ourselves, well, before we feed ourselves with the other information. Yeah, right. You have a, a center in Portland, which I've visited, um, called, it's got a wonderful name, memorable, A-E-I-O-U and Y. And um, it's, a, it's a lovely little place, right, uh, snuggled up against a railroad line, right? Um, and um, it's a center uh, uh, where you, uh, you practice uh, as a, therapist, you have a MSW degree uh, as an educator, and uh, teach classes, um, and do uh, consults, and, um, and I'd love to ask you to just describe what the major pieces of your work at AEIOU and Y are. What are the major things you do there? Well, in terms of, of therapies, it's more about the tools mm-hmm. that I have really focused on over the years in order for any of my clients to begin taking back whatever they feel they've lost or whatever they feel they've given away. And so it's a, it's a whole notion that if we begin to take responsibility for ourselves for all that we're thinking and the way we're behaving and the way we're looking at the world, then the whole world will be a better place and we will shift, we will shift how we orient ourselves. So in the traditional straight up talk therapy that I practiced years ago, I realized I wasn't getting, I wasn't getting deep enough and that my clients, my patients were 
um, were not getting to a place where they felt healed and were ready to go back out on themselves. So in other words, I was creating a dependency. So I wanted to, to then explore other tools for individuals so that they really could say, oh my gosh, okay, I feel like I've got a good grip on my life. Thank you very much and move on. So I began with, a, I began researching a lot of things and realizing that our, our senses are critical to our experience and critical to our stories and the stories that we tell other people. And um, of course, from, from everything that I have experienced in my life, I realized that my eyes are the consort to the brain. So if that's the case, then the way we define beauty and the way we look at the world comes through color. So there was a, um, a wonderful um, therapeutic plan that was developed by a blind lady using equilibrium bottles. And so these equilibrium bottles have color in them. And that became um, my first departure from straight talk therapy. So these are, this is number 106 out of how many? 114. So there are 114 of these different equilibrium bottles. But you also have these small bottles of uh, scents. Is that correct? Is that what you'd call the little bottles? Oh, yes. Those other smaller bottles are actually um, essences. Essences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And tell us a little about the essences. Plant and tree essences. So these are... I'm going to have you hold one. Um, These are... Single essences that have been distilled by water and our understanding, my understanding, and the reason I view, I use these um, so deeply in my practice is simply because we have such resonance with the plant and tree kingdom mm-hmm. and that when we are out in nature and we do not have any other influences with us, then there is a particular level of healing. There's a particular level of, of calming. There's a particular level of, of shifting of consciousness, if you will, when we are out in Mother Nature. So if we are ready to take responsibility for our own health and our own well-being, these essences applied neat to the skin remind us that we need to, one, be out in nature more to get outside and and to be with her, Um, to two, recognize that the body really does want to go back into a place of of optimal health, and three, that the the essences help us to really understand that, that we have our own ability to to move into a place of understanding why and how we have these symptoms that arise in our life, whether they be physical or emotional or spiritual. And so the essences really take us to a much deeper level of understanding what is really going on and what is the source of the issues that you know present themselves when you first walk in, mm-hmm. right? These herbals or these plant and tree essences. Yeah, like uh, oils. Are oils, which mm-hmm. you actually apply to the body. Yes. Right. These equilibrium bottles, 
What do you do with those? You also apply those to you the body. You apply those to the body. Mm-hmm. And when you apply these to the body, do you shake them up or do you just allow the one on top to be the thing that comes out? Yes, you actually shake them. Thank you for, for asking that yeah. question. What you want to do is you want to actually bring the two colors together. I get it. By shaking them, and you can see. Yeah, then they're still separate, but they're kind of bubbling bubbling around. But they, they do want to separate, don't they? Eventually they do, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But oh, you can get them to actually, yeah. You can get them to come together. Yeah. And the whole notion is that you want them to come together yeah. before you put them on, before you put it on your I, body. I get it. You want the two colors to come together. Um, there are bottles that are called solids, which means that the top color and the lower color are the same. I got um, and, uh, and they still need to be shaken anyways. I got it. Um, because there is a, an interpretive understanding that the upper fraction color has to do with the conscious mind and the lower fraction color has to do with the subconscious. Mm. So if we want to get more deeply in touch with our intuition, that small voice, or some people would say, you know, my gut, mm-hmm. right? That's current vernacular. That applying these bottles will allow for whatever is in our subconscious to bubble up and be caught by the conscious mind. Mm-hmm. So that we are moving from a very, very different place um, rather than being completely led all the time by the intellect. Let's go back to some of the crystals we have here. We started with my uh, chrysocolla, but you brought some extraordinary pieces. Why don't you pick out one that speaks to you in the context of this conversation and tell us what it looks like and what it means to you? We're sitting in front of a little table where we have about a dozen of these uh, crystals laid out. Well, I must say that I love... (laughs) These beautiful friends. And now you're picking up three of my palm stones, uh, which I work with. Um, um, oh, yes, I, my practice is that before I go to sleep at night or when I wake up in the morning, I have these right in my bedside table drawer. And I can wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and reach over and... Uh, hold one or two of these palm stones. Um, So, for example, this green one, uh, which the literature says that green is a healing color and um, that it's a throat chakra uh, stone. Uh, And I often put it up at the back of my neck, right under my head. But I live with this you know, benign essential tremor, which comes from the brainstem. And uh, so my experience is that uh, I'm very kind of mind-centered and that, um, that the brain overheats. Mm-hmm. And so I place this green palm stone up against um, the top of my neck, right under my skull. And then I may take this... Uh, uh, rose quartz crystal, another palm stone, and I may place it on my heart. Mm, beautiful. Uh, and uh, so I may work with things like that. But I find that, for me, that these palm stones are the ideal shape and size for energetic work. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I would like to um, 
see about getting some of these. I recently um, have just opened my practice back up to start working with children. Uh-huh. And, um, and I have found these extraordinary stones that are much, much smaller, mm-hmm. collections of them. Um, and that's the way I will begin working mm-hmm. with the children is through the stones because they're so playful and happy and um, extremely powerful. So what you are led to do, Michael, is 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 really very spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it has really to do the healing really has to do with your with your own orientation and relationship mm-hmm. with them, and you have to get to a place where whatever it is you're receiving is of such high value that you keep at it, because otherwise it it uh, you know it just becomes another one of those things that we put to the side and and yet these are very very beautiful but you know you have to it's like it's like working a muscle it's like exercising mm-hmm. we have to be with them a lot in order to receive receive their full benefits mm-hmm. they're shy and they're very slow this is my experience of working with these guys i don't know so much about the palm stones but for instance when i i do not know this was one of my grandfathers. I do not know anything about this very opaque, unusual stone. I've taken it around to a handful of people who have loved it and looked at it, and no one seems to know. This is another, another one of those unknowing pieces. But this is, for those of you who can't see, it's a, it almost looks like fog. Kind of like an arrowhead, but quite large. Yeah. With different facets coming together, kind of like a pyramid, a tall pyramid. Uh, and as you said, opaque, whitish, right? Yeah. I mean, when I look deeply into that, it, it truly feels like it's contained fog. Mm. I'd like for you to hold it, please, and see what you think. My experience has been really that if you have the time and the, and the desire to sit very quietly with the stone that you will receive what it is that is trying to be communicated. I find that, you know, again, coming back to Robert Sordello, I mean, there's a whole bunch of books out there uh, which are useful, where they give you the geology of the stone and then little thing about what its mystical properties are. As you say, that feeds in through the cognitive mind. But like you, I'm actually more attracted to going into a crystal store and just seeing what draws me, and then, you know, picking up uh, something and just being with it. And then it almost tells me whether I have to have it or not. Yes. You know, that if I leave the store without that, I will be a sad puppy. You know? <laughs> and, um, and so this, your grandfather's stone, um, you know, just feels very strong to me, very powerful. But the chrysocolla piece which I often hold at night also, I swear that it is changing my dream life. You know, that mm. uh, I had a dream the other night after I'd been holding the chrysocolla, and at 73, it was a really beautiful dream to have, in which there were a series of balconies kind of cascading down some kind of building. And I had started at a high balcony and I was very lightly jumping and descending balcony by balcony. And each balcony had 
plants and chairs and tables. So landing in the right place on the balcony was not to be for, taken for granted. Mm. But somehow I was gently jumping from one balcony down to the next and then leaping and jumping down to the next. And it was, to me, it was a symbol of, um, of the aging process mm. in which I was able, in the dream at least, we'll see how it works in reality, <laughs> to make this descent with lightness and clarity and grace. Mm. You know? And it felt like a Chrysocolla dream to me. Yeah. And yeah. so there have been a series of dreams in which somehow my ability to move skillfully through circumstance, mm. I experienced as connected to the, this. <laughs> and Sardello, as I said, um, as you're saying, he says, hold the stone, hold the crystal, and see what comes to mind, yeah. just see what emerges. And you said sometimes it comes as a sound for you, sometimes it comes as a, an image, sometimes it comes as a message, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it feels as if there is a communication going on. You're listening to a TNS Conversation with Michael Lerner and Lynn Getz. Absolutely. That, in other words, you believe it, I'm inclined to believe it, Many people would say it was completely foolish or placebo, but it doesn't matter. And since we know that placebo is unbelievably powerful, mm -hmm. ultimately, what difference does it make? I mean, to me, it makes a difference because of the way I like to think about the world. Yes. Yeah. Well, it makes a difference to me as well, but, but it's, it's your life, it's right? Your life. And, it's, and it's your experience. Right. And in the end, that really is what it is. Mm -hmm. And that's all there is. Right. Right? That's all there is. Right. So if we can just get over that incredible magnetic collective pull mm -hmm. um, and get beyond it, right, then we have a very, very good chance of, of really getting these incredible dreams, these incredible messages, experiences that allow us to really understand what it means to be embodied. Right? I don't know how many people really take the time to understand what it means to be embodied and what it means to, to have the experiences that we're having, to operate at a certain level of consciousness and then understand that level of consciousness. It's like consciousness understanding consciousness, right? And that's, for me, what the crystals actually allow us to do, right? They give us these images, we receive these dreams, and then, and then we get to interpret them for ourselves, right? And in the end, that level of work becomes healing beyond all healing, right? One of the crystals that you have here, I think, or maybe two of them are called, what is it, Hakamer diamonds? Yes, these are the Herkimers, yeah. Tell me a little about the Hakamer diamond. Well, they're actually from the United States, mm -hmm. um, from actually Herkimer, New York, mm -hmm. upstate New York. I uh, was given actually both of these by two different people. I um, am not going to be able to tell you about the 
the hardness or the clarity or any of the ways in which we typically um, value a diamond. But what I, I can tell you about these two um, is that they are precision tools. They, for me, bring about a crystal clear knowing of truth for me. And while we know that truth is incredibly subjective, we also know what is absolutely true for us. And, and that has a particular clarity, a particular sound. Um, you know, if you've ever heard a harmonic um, through a tuning fork or through a, um, a crystal bowl or even um, one of the metal singing bowls, um, but, but there's, a, there's a particular harmonic that, that resonates within each one of us that lets us, us know that a certain level of, of truth has been attained. Mm-hmm. And the Herkimers actually clarify that, that, that space when there is a knowing. And so when I'm, it's almost like, you know, if you've been sick and you've had a cold for a really, really, really long time and it just kind of lingers and you need that final push mm-hmm. to feel completely well, mm-hmm. you know, so they, mm-hmm. when somebody says, how are you? Your response is, I feel great. It's the same thing if, if there's, if there's a, um, not quite a clear, refined defined truth that you have been working on for yourself. To sit in meditation with a Herkimer diamond actually pushes it Mm -hmm. right to the precise way of knowing. Mm -hmm. It it creates a, a very clear sound for me and a very clear, um, perception Mm -hmm. that I've arrived Mm -hmm. and that that truth is, is something that will be with me the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So that's what the Herkimers, that's what the Herkimers do. And this one that's actually got gold in it mm-hmm. is really, really remarkable. Oftentimes people will say to me, where did the, what creates the gold? Mm-hmm. Right? What iron ore? And is that actually gold? Mm-hmm. Um, my sense is, is that no, that's not the typical mined gold that we fashion jewelry out of. Um, I don't know what ore actually creates that color, but what's more important to me is actually all the rainbows that exist in this particular crystal. Mm-hmm. They're just completely filled and and um, and deep within this this actual mm. stone, and um, and so this is for me a very very powerful stone. It will. Um, allow me, if I'm working with a client um, for quite some time, it will allow me to get very, very clear um, about the next um, ways to work with him or her, um, you know, ways in which we can really look at the energetic within the individual a little differently. Um, And oftentimes, um, she has volunteered, this crystal has volunteered to go home and work with the individual. to bring more clarity to what is in the conscious mind, um, that to what the conscious mind is receiving through the subconscious. So, and this one is partly, at least, amethyst. Is that right? Amethyst and smoky quartz, mm-hmm. and who knows what else. Mm-hmm. So, um, you were kind enough to 
guide me to the, the Tucson Crystal Show earlier <laughs> this year, which you go to every year. I do go, yes. And so I came back with uh, this uh, amethyst uh, uh, cluster. Um, and um, for those of, uh, who are just listening, it's kind of like a heart-shaped on a metal stand about the size of three hands. Um, and then it has all these facets of deep purple. Um, and if you go to the um, Tucson uh, or uh, Gemstow, which is an annual event, there are massive ones. <laughs> massive ones. But I came back with this one. Um, what, how do you work with amethyst? What does amethyst mean for you? Well, before I tell you what amethyst means yeah. for me, can I? I just have a couple of stories to share with you about yeah. amethyst. Yeah. Did I ever give you an amethyst cluster for your car? I no, you didn't. Okay. Yeah. So, so amethyst um, actually absorbs um, mm-hmm. the deeper the violet, and this is a beautiful one, mm-hmm. by the way. the The deeper the violet, the deeper the ability to absorb. Mm-hmm. So it will absorb shock, mm-hmm. it will absorb trauma, mm-hmm. um, it will absorb impact, mm-hmm. um, and, and take it on mm-hmm. um, for us humans. Mm-hmm. So very, very early on, in my early 20s, I was led to, to find these very, very dark clusters of amethyst and put them under the, under the driver's seat of the car. Right, so that so that as we're driving down the road, um, that that nothing impacts the vehicle in which we're traveling, mm-hmm. and I have had personally myself two Volvo station wagons totaled by the insurance companies, and the individual driving walk away unscathed, mm-hmm. and the crystal amethyst that's been under the seat has gone milky white. So it completely loses the purple and the vibrancy, okay? And then what one does is you go and you dig a small hole and you put her into Mother Earth and leave her there. Most of the time, I will leave her a good 60 days, you know, and I'll know where I've made my little little space for her. And in ceremony, I will put her back into Mother Earth and just let her be. And depending upon, you know, sometimes it takes a little longer, but you can then go back out, dig her up, and she will resume the violet color. Wow. So, so our planet will, will absorb from the amethyst who's absorbed the impact um, or the crash for us as human beings. And it will do that for us over and over and over again. And I wish that I could show you um, an amethyst that's actually received an impact. I don't have one with me. So they are incredible at um, the amethyst in terms of qualities and characteristics at receiving the trauma. So if we've got unresolved issues of trauma inside of us, to sit with an amethyst will pull, right? We talk about the pushing and pulling qualities of the nature of nature, Right, and and the amethyst will actually pull very very gently from us that trauma. If I had my way, I would take all our vets and give them 
amethyst clusters for them to just have, or an amethyst. I mean, that's where the original purple heart, right, that was given starting, I think, back in the 14th century sometime, was actually amethyst. I didn't know that. Hmm? Wow, that's hmm? amazing. Yeah. So I have been given a number of amethyst hearts over the years that sometimes I'll, I'll wear. Um, and you have your amethyst purple mm-hmm. heart here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a remarkable, remarkable um, crystal for that reason, for healing trauma. When I... Uh, the amethyst... Um, Again, I actually, when I stand in front of it, I can feel the field with the amethyst, which is not true with a lot of the others, but the amethyst, in other words, not touching it, but just um, standing perhaps three feet away from it, something like that, I feel the field. Yes. Um, Whereas with the chrysocolla, I don't feel the field unless I'm holding it. And then, um, and several times when before this talk and others, when I would show you something, your almost immediate response is, let me hold it. So for you and I think others, it's not at all automatic that every crystal of, say, I'm holding now this tangerine quartz crystal that helped me my first healing response to crystals. Um, it's not at all true that all tangerine quartz crystals would have the same energetic feeling to them. Is that true for you? That's correct. For me, yeah. it is. I mean, yeah. Some people feel a lot of field from one and not much from another. So something seems to be going on. Uh, is it that the field hasn't been activated, or is it the different... Uh, crystals actually have different energetic fields and energetic signatures let's call it that well i think that i think that the crystals do have energetic signatures i i think i'd like to say that that with all of our human experiences it's all about resonance and and so you know out of thousands of Men, why do we pick the one? Out of thousands of women, why do we pick the one? Out of thousands of crystals, why does that one resonate? Um, there's, there's, a, there's an almost undescribable understanding that, that resonance is what drives many of our perceptions um, as, we, as we experience them. And... So for me, absolutely, what resonates for you may not resonate for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, depending upon um, the reason why you want to work with the crystals and how you're going to work with the crystals, um, you know, it's such a, it's such a thing now that many of the crystals um, have been, um, I would say, dimmed or a lot of their energy has dropped um, simply because they've moved through um, uh, stores and people who haven't paid enough attention or valued them deeply enough. 
And as with any of us, right, we know that we'll drop a little bit in our energetic field, in our day-to-day energy, when we haven't been honored enough. And, and the crystals are the same way. Um, the plants and trees are the same way. And so there has to be a level of, of desire and a level of, of understanding that there's more to life than what we cognitively mm-hmm. think about and experience. And that field that you're talking about with your beautiful amethyst heart here is exactly why I have four significant amethyst caves in my healing space. And when people say, I don't, I can't feel energy, I don't know what that feels like, I'll say, okay, come here. And I'll have them literally put their hand in the cave, right? And so it's, it's, it's in three, two to three inches deep into this incredible cave. And I'll get them really quiet through a, a you know, a guided meditation or a visualization. And and they'll be able then to begin to perceive, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that field a little bit as you describe it. You know, so. what fascinates me, I said this at the start, but for some reason, part of my dharma in this world has been to be fascinated by the different archetypal psychologies. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, one way of thinking about it is that I started, uh, I mean, I, st- I actually studied Freud and, you know, Piaget and Kohlberg and, and the developmental psychologist when I w- was teaching at Yale. And, and that was my introduction. And I found them very interesting. But the first one that I deeply resonated with was Carl Jung. And then from Carl Jung, I went to James Hillman, and from James Hillman to the other archetypal psychologists, including Robert Sardello, who we've been talking about, who wrote Steps on the Stone Path about crystals and stones. And then um, I began to think about uh, astrology, Enneagram, the I Ching, the Tarot, crystals, uh, and different esoteric traditions, um, the Bailey work, so on and so forth, Mm -hmm. that they're all different archetypal languages, right? They're all different vocabularies. um, And what the archetypal ones do is that they encourage us to go beyond the mental material sphere into this complete mystery, which is why can one person use astrology, another the tarot, a third the I Ching, a fourth Enneagram, a fifth crystals, whatever it is, and access in different vocabularies and different languages these deep resonant places that we feel called to in some way. And I realized that the fact that these different languages all seem to work for different people and all seem to get us where we're trying to go but the formulations can be completely different i mean they, there may be overlaps but basically they're so different do you think about that do you think about that question of why it is that these different vocabularies bring different people into these deep resonant places when it's so difficult and often impossible 
to align them in a single form? Well, I think that's I think that's actually the beauty mm. of yes, I do think about that, and I I I think that that kind of diversity that you're speaking about, I think about a lot. I think about diversity in in resonance quite a bit, and for me, there's nothing better than to find a wonderful astrologer, mm-hmm. right, or a wonderful um, I Ching interpreter um, of changing lines. And and so I really seek individuals who who are doing this incredible work and are called to, as you and I are, to these very different um, areas. And I think that I think that there's a place for all of it. And and in the end, it is all getting us to the right place, the place that we each one understand um, us to be going as we live our life. But I think it's a very, very important question. And I wonder how many other people, you know, really reflect on that. But I do think that, um, you know, it's a, it's a spectrum and you have to be ready and called to it. Otherwise, it's, uh, it's just something that then comes into the conscious mind and flows in and flows out. Right? And unless you're really deeply called to it and there is a deep resonance, you know, to, to, to really take a deeper dive into this work, you know, you'll just, you'll just hit it at the, exactly the right place where you were meant to, you know, um, experience it. You know, we purposely spent most of our time using crystals and stones as a, an entryway to your remarkable work with um, the senses as portals to um, a depth of, of human experience that doesn't come to us by the, the cognitive path alone. But I do want to spend a little time on some of the things you've done in your life uh, just to sort of situate this conversation. That's all right. <laughs> sure. So uh, you were a social worker. Yes. And what what kind of social work did you do? Where did you do that work? I primarily worked with adolescent girls um, who were uh, really just crying out. But I think that with these kids now and what we know about the crystals and what we know about fields um, and resonance, that we will begin to work with these kids who come in incredibly gifted, who come in and can see and feel and use their senses um, in ways that most of the rest of us can't even imagine, right? And hold the space for them and what they're experiencing and what they've brought in and understand that we have to teach them differently and that, that, that there are no longer just the four quadrants of learning, right? That it is now significantly expanded by the humans that are coming in, landing on the planet in order to help humanity. And I just believe that and, and know from my own experience that if we, can, um, if we can change the language, change the labeling, um, change the, the, the way in which we're holding 
these kids, whether they're incredibly gifted, again, labels, language, unusual, different, again, not even the right language, um, to the ones that are on the other side of that spectrum, um, you know, then, then we're going to have a completely different, uh, completely different and expanded place with which to begin looking at, at, uh, mm-hmm. at the advancement of consciousness and what we can do for our planet and humanity. Implicit so. in what you just said was a kind of, a kind of, which I wanted to ask you about. You said humans who are coming into the earth to help and so forth. Do you have a structure of how you think about um, how the metaphysical universe is structured. I mean, we've talked about angels, we've talked about souls coming into the earth. Um, do you have a particular way that you look at that whole structure of that is beyond what we perceive directly? Um. Do you believe in reincarnation? Are there... Is there a particular, is there a Steiner-like or some other way of thinking about the non-visible world? So I do believe in reincarnation, mm-hmm. and I believe that the, that the soul does evolve. One of the um, visuals, the metaphors that I love to think about as the soul being a beautiful thread, and the beads that are put on this thread are lifetimes of Mm. experience. Mm. And so as we think about the continuum that the soul lives on um, and the aspirations of the soul, it is to know our creator. It is to know our maker. It is to know that infinite uh, field of, of love, right? And to, to, to really be able to see and feel and understand all that is unsavory, all that we perceive to be, what's the best word I know how to describe it, un, unsavory, that that too is beautiful. That too is part of the allness or the oneness or the... Or the comprehensive field in which we're talking about. Um, Is there a structure? Perhaps. Um, But for me, you know, every, every soul has its lifetime and it's chosen what it wants to work on and who it wants to work on with. Um, I deeply believe that we choose our parents and we choose our siblings. And, and I, I have a small understanding of soul groups or soul pods. But beyond that, um, it really is more about the, the individual experience and, and their understanding mm. that is exceptional to me and, and is the place for the work to begin. Mm. Um, I don't even like the word work. So one of the things that we did in this year-long self-inquiry that I just completed was we literally created a new dictionary 
for about 130 words so that we could all, when we were talking, when we talk about the word karma, what does that mean? When we talk about dharma, what does that mean? So that there's a, um, a, a clear understanding mm. from the group about this because we've all read, right? And we're all on this exquisite path. And so in order to unify the learning and to really bring forth the depth of conversation, I felt it was really important for all of us to get on, on track with, with certain words. Because collectively now, we're using all kinds of words interchangeably. And I, don't, I personally feel we should not be using these words interchangeably. Let's just take the word essence, right? Or um, radiate to radiation to... You know, and we just, and they, they begin to mean different things. Um, I was in a high-level business meeting the other day, and there were a couple of words that they were using that were metaphysical in nature that now they're applying to the, the nature of the stock market. And I was laughing to myself, thinking, here we are, searching, searching for new language to communicate newness, whatever that is. And, um, and so on some level, it's mudding some of the language for me. So, so structure, maybe. Mm-hmm. But right now it feels to me more like just wanting to know and feel and be with um, those who we deeply want to be with and those who we who seek us out to work with us. Just as markers, uh, because they take us away from the depth of our conversation, but for listeners who don't know your work, um, you mentioned being in a business uh, meeting, a high-level business meeting, and you've done a good deal of important brand work. You worked with Ralph Lauren, I understand, uh, and traveled the world looking for things that sort of created his look with his brand. Uh, You were a founder of the Bravewell Collaborative, which uh, really was an extremely influential um, project um, celebrating uh, integrative and mind-body medicine and and honoring uh, many of our colleagues, uh, Rachel Naomi Remen, James Gordon, um, uh, many of our uh, colleagues in uh, in mind, body, health, Andrew Weil, uh, and um, others. Uh, so you've had uh, uh, a very strategic role in some very high-level corporate and integrative health uh, projects. And we don't have time to cover those today, but I wonder how how does the work that we've been talking about, which is your heart work uh, with A-E-I-O-U and why? Well, you know, the reason that came to being, and I had this vision many years ago, is that if we extracted... And we know this from the gematria. Yeah. If we extract the vowels right. 
out of our words, then we have to explore a completely different language. And so for me, it's all about the language of the senses. It's all about the language of perception and all about the, the, the language of resonance. Mm-hmm. And um, it's messing up the computer quite, <laughs> the algorithms for the computer quite, quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But, um, but anyway, I, th- I, think that, I think the thread is attention. So is there a thread for you between the corporate work you've done, the mind-body-health leadership work you've done, and your work in healing and exploration of inner realms? Is there a thread that connects all of those for you? Yes. I mean, I think it's... Well, I said a time. It's, it's really about deep listening... Heart connection and what it means to be embodied now. Mm-hmm. Who comes in? Who's with you? Mm-hmm. How do you learn? How do you love? Mm-hmm. And and how do you hold? How do you hold the life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that's. That, that's those are really the threads for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lynn Getz, thank you for being with us at the new school. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. You've been listening to a conversation with Michael Lerner and Lynn Getz. Thank you for listening to TNS, the new school at Commonweal. The new school at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams. And our theme music is by Suzanne Ciani. Visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, and Vimeo. Thanks for listening.